Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Coop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada. Last week we started off our series on freedom from traps by talking about that you're destined for freedom. That's absolutely true. God created you to be free. And in life, if we have hindrances, if we're weighted down, if parasites have got into our life or viruses, just like you have in your computer, when your computer gets a virus, it slows it right down. I guess this past week there was a new computer virus that hit a bunch of computers and I heard on the news that they were just bogged right down and they couldn't accomplish what they were meant to do. Your life's like that. And if the enemy can get a virus in there, it can somehow hinder you from accomplishing what you're destined to do, then you're not free. God wants us free. Uh, More than we do, he wants us to be free to accomplish the purpose, the call, what we're created for. And we have an enemy, like it or not, who is determined to try to bring us down, to try to keep us from being fulfilled in life. We had two verses that we laid out last week. We're going to bring them back up again for you. They're on your notes. The first one is this, Psalm 91, verse 3, For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from the fatal plague. There's a couple words we highlighted this week in this verse. Number one, for he will. Another translation says, surely he will. That means for sure, for sure, for sure, God will rescue you from the trap. It's not a maybe. It's not maybe someday. No, this is absolutely certain. God will rescue you from the snare of the fowler, from the trapper. We know that's a promise. God keeps his promise. In the New Testament, it tells us that Jesus prays this way, and he makes this statement, my sheep hear my voice. They know me. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. Neither can any man take them out of my hand. Jesus, what he does is he takes responsibility. They're my sheep. I'm going to take care of them. If they get hurt, I'm going to rescue them. Does it not say that if there's one that leaves a fold and he would go look for that one, he'd leave the 99 to go look for the one to rescue them because they're trapped? God goes looking for us. He absolutely wants us to be free. He goes out of his way to bring us for freedom. Why? Because he knows in that place of freedom, you're able to soar and have the relationships you're meant to have, to have the job you're meant to have, to have the career you're meant to have, and really to fulfill the purpose that you know is on the inside of you. Then it says every trap. There's no trap that's too big for God. When you're trapped, it's stronger than you are. You can't get out of it with your brain power. You can't get out of it by just saying, I'm going to will, I'm going to choose. No, it's stronger than you are, but it's not stronger than your God. God cares about you. He doesn't say, oh, man, you got caught in that. You know, bless your heart. It's too bad you got caught in that. You know, no, that one's too tough for me. Sorry, I can't help you on that one. There is not a trap that God can't rescue you from. And remember, he always looks with eyes of compassion. He looks with eyes of love. He cares about us. And he lovingly restores us and puts us back on our feet. He keeps us from the snare, not just out of the snare. He also keeps us from it. He protects us from getting caught in it in the first place. That's the best. If we can just be preventative and not get caught in the first place, that's the very best. The second verse is Psalm 124, 7 and 8. Our soul. Now, the word that's highlighted there is the word soul. Our soul has escaped. Where the enemy tries to attack us and trap us is right between our ears, up here. This is in this realm. That's where he tries to trap us. He tries to get our mind trapped, our will, our soul, our emotions. You can look like you're free on the outside. You could be sitting here this morning and everybody thinks, man, they're, they're doing great. They're doing wonderful. But in your own soul, you know things aren't so hot. 
You're speaking the right language. You're acting the right way. And you're saying the right things. People say, how are you doing? Doing great. Everything's cool. But when you go to your quiet place, you know, somebody once said, you're only as healthy as your secrets. And in, in your secret place, you know, it's, it's not so good. You know there's a war going on. You're not telling others about it, but God knows about it. He's not surprised, by the way. He's compassionate about it. He wants you to be free. So our soul escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The fowlers are the bird trappers. The snare's broken. Maybe underline that. The snare is broken. You look back at it, the trap's broken. If you were trapped in alcoholism and God frees you from it, guess what? The trap's broken. What does that mean? It doesn't work on you anymore. It used to work on me, but now it's broken. That thing doesn't affect me anymore. God can bring you to a place where that snare, what had you trapped, is now broken. It no longer holds your life. That's good news. Now, if you've been trapped, let's say, in some type of a snare or hold, God will restore that area of your life so that it can't have a hold on your life anymore. But for the rest of your life, you will have to be extra cautious around that particular area. If you, have a, if you visit different countries and you can see their old forts and cannons and so forth, and they would build a wall to protect the vulnerable parts of the country, maybe a port or maybe different locations. A number of years ago, I had a trip to the Philippines, and our friend took us over to Corregidor, island of Corregidor, out in the bay there. And he, we, we looked at the different guns that were there and how they protected the Philippines from that place. And it was a vulnerable place, so they put protection there. And there may be an area in your life where you struggled before. And when the enemy leaves, he's not omnipresent. He'll come back again. And when he comes back, he'll think, well, you know, they were weak there before. I'm going to come back. That's where we build the fortress. That's where we put some guns. That's where we put God's word. That's where we memorize some scriptures. And when he comes back there, he gets a blast. He goes, well, you know what? I'm not getting in there. I used to get in there, but they built a fortress. The trap's broken. It's destroyed because of our Lord. We've escaped. Our help is where? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's stronger than we are, but we sang about it earlier. Our help's in the name. Now, if you missed last week, you can go back to the podcast, catch it there, because we talked a little bit about the name of the Lord. Here's a few principles of the trap. We're going to expose how the traps work. We're going to go through some of those things. So here's some things that work for the trap. Number one, it's stronger than you are. It's designed to restrain your movement, your freedom, and ultimately destroy you. You can't, again, outthink it. You can't outwit it. It's trapped you soulishly, and some of us, we think we're pretty smart. People don't figure it out. Nobody's figured it out. I'm, I'm doing it. Nobody knows. God hasn't sent any lightning bolts to strike me down, so it can't be that big a deal. That's a common lie. Well, you know, if God was really upset about it, he'd give me some disease, or he'd strike me, or he'd do something if he really wanted me to change. Remember, your God's a God of grace and mercy. He, wants to, he draws you from it with love. It's the goodness of God that causes us to change. It's stronger than you are. Number two, it operates on deceit. The thing about deception is when we're deceived, we don't know we're deceived. If we knew we're deceived, we wouldn't be deceived. So it operates on deceit. The trap is usually got a lot of truth in it. It looks good, and, but we're, we're caught because it's deceitful. Deceitful. Then thirdly, the bait used to, with a trap is usually connected with pleasure, profit, or power. That's the bait he's been using for centuries. 
He hasn't changed a lot. He's repackaged it and remodeled it, but it's the same principle that's been used for years and years. Pleasure, profit, or power. When we have men's meetings, we call it this way, glitter, gals, and gold. The year's 2010, and guess what? Guys still get trapped on the three things. Glitter, bling, bling, things, gals, and gold, money. We still get trapped on those three things. Or pleasure, profit, power, still traps people today. That's the bait that he uses. And then the trapper knows the way of its victim, adapts the bait and snare accordingly. You don't trap a sparrow the same way you trap a hawk or some other bird. You, you have different traps, and he has different traps for us. He's been studying humanity for a long time. He, he knows you. He, he understands your ways. He knows how to set a trap. And we need our Lord to guide us and protect us and keep us from the snare of the fowler. And then fifthly, a decoy is often used to lead the prey into the trap. If you go duck hunting and uh, you want to hunt some ducks, you, you find a place where the ducks land and you put some decoys out there. You put something out there that looks like a duck from a distance and then you get a, a, a duck whistle or, and you, you make the sound of the duck and then you hide in the bushes. The ducks fly overhead and say, hey, the rest of our buddies have flown ahead. They found a nice place to land. I hear them calling me. Let's go in and land. And why do they go in and land? Because it looks like a duck, talks like a duck. But it ain't a duck. It's a decoy. And you fly in, and uh, then you got duck for supper. So, now, Christians today, we can fall into traps because we follow a decoy. There's been too many cases, even within our own church, where somebody has flown into a trap because they sounded like a Christian, they spoke like a Christian, they put on an act that they were Christian, but they followed him into a trap, and $100,000 later, or $50,000 later, they're going, I was no Christian. It was a decoy. Well, how do we know if it is or if it isn't? Remember, we said last week, it's by the fruit. You know them by the fruit. So you've got to be a fruit inspector. You've got to check the fruit and be a little bit patient and do your due diligence and say, okay, is the fruit there. Does it match up? Then lastly, the trapper is very patient and very persistent. It can take one month. It can take five years, it can take 10 years, or 20 years. He really doesn't care. He just wants to trap you. As long as you're on the downward slippery slope, he's okay. Let's just slowly, slowly pull that person into the trap. Today we're going to talk about a trap of change. We could call it different things. We'll use that title today. Next week, we'll bring another trap illustration to you. This trap of change is a trap where the, we slowly have our belief change in an individual or society by repeatedly delivering a shocking message until the victim is lulled into complacency. At first, we see the evil and know it's dangerous, but once it becomes part of the culture, we begin to see it as harmless and commonplace. And to illustrate that today, I, I brought a pumpkin with me. And so you say, well, what does a pumpkin have to do with a trap? We'll hang in there, and uh, we'll, we'll get to the story. So we're, we're going hunting duck this morning, and uh, if you like duck, you're in the right place today. We're going to show you how to hunt duck if you don't have a shotgun. Uh, <laughs> this is before the day of, of, the, of the shotgun. The First Nations people in South America and also in North America, they, they wanted to hunt duck, trap duck, but to hunt ducks because they're pretty skittish, with a bow and arrow, can be challenging. So they came up with a very ingenious way of trapping the duck. And they would use a pumpkin, and they would hollow out the pumpkin. 
they'd find a nice, slow place in the river where ducks like to land. And let's just pretend in front of the stage here, this is our river, and it's flowing along here very nice. And we have ducks have come and landed. And uh, right out here in the middle, they're kind of mingling. They've got their families together, and, and they're enjoying the nice water. It's a good place to land and be refreshed and, you know, and maybe do some feeding there as well. And, and they just like water. It's a nice place to hang out. And, and so there they are. Now, the trapper knows they're there, and he's really hungry. But if he gets too close, they just fly away. They see it, so he's come up with a way to capture them. They take a pumpkin, they carve it out so it's hollow, and then they walk upstream... And they place this pumpkin into the water. It's hollowed out. They stand back in the bushes, and they watch the pumpkin float downstream. So here comes the pumpkin. Pumpkin's floating around downstream, comes around the corner. And the ducks, they see the pumpkin, and they go, Ah! It's an orange monster! George, get out of here! Come on, get the kids, let's go! There is an orange monster! Get out of the way! So they fly out of the way, they're up there 100 feet in the air, and they're watching the orange monster bob down the river. George, Joe are up there, they're kind of the leaders of the duck clan, they look at one another and say, man, that was close. That was scary. We had that, 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 that orange monster came flying right through here, and we, man, it could have had any one of us. I'm so glad we got out of there, and they're watching, they just say, you know, let's make sure he's long gone. I'm not going back to that water until he's gone. So they wait for quite a while, okay, he's safe. So they land again. Now, meanwhile, the trapper's in the bushes, and he sees him landing again, so he takes his pumpkin, and he goes back upstream, puts a pumpkin in the water, and you get the idea. Pumpkin comes down, comes along. George says, Joe, I can't believe it. Look, there's that orange monster again. Quick, get them out of here. Another one. Let's get out of here. So they take off. They fly up in the sky. They're watching it. Not quite as high this time, and they watch the pumpkin float down the stream. The trapper picks up the pumpkin. Patience, persistence. He walks back up, puts it in the water. The ducks have returned. This is now just to speed up the story for your sake a bit. We're at number 25, okay? <laughs> Fast forward. Here comes the pumpkin. It's not, number 25, they've got up. And every time they flew away a little bit uh, less of a distance and now the pumpkin comes, and George says to Joe, you know what, I, I am so tired of dealing with this. Let's, it, you know, it's come through. It never hurt. I don't think it's going to hurt us. Let's just give it some space. Let it come through and see what's going to happen. I don't think it's really going to affect our duck culture. We're all, after all, we're very tolerant people. So let's just give it some space, give it its own room, and... Pumpkin just bobs right through, goes downstream, and all the ducks and ducklings watch, and they say, that wasn't so bad. It didn't really hurt us at all. The trapper now knows he's got his victim. So he goes back upstream. One more time, just bear with me. <laughs> and he puts his pumpkin back in the water, but this time it's a little bit different. He's carved out the pumpkin. He puts it over his head. And he's got to read to breathe, and now he's under the water. He's under the water. He knows the ducks are just down the road here, down the stream. And as he gets close to the ducks, they're not moving. They've done that for 30 times, and nothing ever happened. But now when he's underneath the ducks, 
He just looks up. Oh, there's a nice plump one. And he picks two plump ducks for supper. What trapped them? At one time, they were alarmed. At one time, they flew away. But not anymore. There's no alarm bells. They've been lulled into complacency. What was once alarming is no longer alarming. Now it's commonplace. It's part of us. It's who we are. Well, this morning, we want to sound the trumpet. We want to sound the alarm bell on two things. We could talk about many others, but we'll just talk about two this morning. One is gambling. Two is pornography. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, if we would have said, somebody would have told us that our BC government would be the first to offer sanctioned online gambling in our province, we would have said, Orange Monster, Orange Monster, get out of the way, don't touch that. Because with gambling comes organized crime, with gambling comes people losing their jobs, with gambling comes divorce, with gambling comes depression, with gambling is proven comes suicide. Orange Monster, Orange Monster, stay away from it. The Canada Safety Council tells us that Canadians put $13 billion into the government coffer. The cost of gambling addiction, we don't know. Medical care, policy, courts, prisons, social assistance, business losses. You can't put a dollar figure to it. Nevada is the number one state for suicide in the United States. We know that in our country, it drives people to suicide. I had a friend who passed it in Niagara. He said, we really tried to keep a casino out. It came anyhow. He says, we saw what it did to our community. We saw organized crime increased. We had to deal with the suicides. We had to deal with the depression. We had to deal with the broken families. We, we dealt with it. And so at one time we said, beware the danger of it, where today it's part of our culture. We don't even flinch anymore. If a new casino goes up, we don't even notice it anymore. It's not even news anymore. It's just part of who we are. And we're going to live in a world that's fallen. What our Lord wants to do is keep us out of that trap. Actually, we have an advantage. If you don't fall into the trap of gambling or pornography, you're going to operate and you're going to function much better than a lot of other people. And it's actually going to help your family, your home, your business. You're going to be clear-minded. There's going to be a strength in you that can be disappearing in our culture. God wants to keep us out of that trap. So I don't know if it affects a lot of people around us today. We're going to be honest here this morning. If we did a survey, we'd find out that this has affected a lot of people sitting in the room here today. But we just keep it under the rug. We, we don't really want to talk about it. We don't want to bring it on the surface because it's very embarrassing if we've been caught in that trap. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. I don't have it there in your notes, but it's a good verse to write down. Paul said here, things are permissible for me, but they're not beneficial. He says, I do not want to be enslaved to anything except my Lord Jesus Christ. So it may be permissible to do it, but is it beneficial to me, to my family? Am I looking for an out? Am I looking for a high? Am I looking to escape? Am I looking for a quick fix on my finances? God warns us about these things. He warns us about the danger of that orange pumpkin of gambling. Secondly, there's obviously lots we could talk about here, but the other alarm bell that will sound is pornography. 
Here's a few stats for us from Internet Filter. 12% of all websites are pornographic. I mean, there's a lot of websites out there, right? 12%. 42% of all Internet users view pornography. That's almost half. 35% of all the downloads off the Internet are pornographic. 1.5 billion downloads a month. Every one of them contain poison for the soul. 90%, this is an alarming stat, 90% of children between the ages of 8 to 16 have viewed pornography online, usually when doing homework. 47%, this is why we're talking about here today, 47%, a couple different surveys, find that Christians say pornography is a major problem in their home. In other words, today, there's a lot of us that would, if we're honest, say, this has been a problem in my home. And on our side, as a ministry team, we know that it's a problem because we're helping rescue people that have been trapped in this thing. Let me make a statement here that's important. I talked to a pastor recently who had got involved in pornography, lost his church, almost lost his marriage. That was rescued. God really did deliver him from the snare of the trapper. And I said, what is one thing that you'd want to say to other pastors and other churches? He said, there's one thing I'd I'd like to say is I would have come forward a lot sooner if I just knew that it was safe to come forward. But I was so afraid that I would be rejected. I was so afraid that I'd be judged. I was afraid they'd throw rocks at me. So I didn't want to come. And I stayed. I thought the pain of staying in the trap was less than the pain of coming forward. But when he came forward, he found out that was a lie from Satan. Because when he came forward, he wasn't rejected. He was loved. He was encouraged. He had people come around him. And his life's back on track. That's a lie of the enemy. That's how he keeps you in the darkness. Because the trap causes you to hide. This trap causes you to go into the darkness. It's like Adam, the same thing in the garden. He went and hid. We want to hide. We want to keep ourselves away. Women will tell you that they know when a man's caught in pornography because he lost his intimacy. When you're caught in this trap, you can't be intimate with your spouse. You can't be talking to mostly men because it affects more men than women, but it also affects women. You can't be intimate with God. It affects your intimacy there. The very lie that it says, if you look at this, you'll get a brief moment of pseudo-intimacy, but it robs the real intimacy. And we got guys today that are 40 years old, 50 years old, having struggling to get married because they don't know how to be intimate, hold hands, love a lady anymore. Because they bought into a lie. So we just want to sound the alarm today. Orange pumpkin, orange pumpkin, orange pumpkin, it's going to kill you. Get out of the way, flee it, run from it. I know our culture says, no, no, hey, we've, we've, we've heard that for so long, it doesn't bother you. It's a lie. It does. It's parasitic. Chuck Colson says pornography is spiritual crack cocaine. It's so addictive and destructive to the soul. When we talk to people that have been on different types of drugs, they say, you know, I kicked this drug, I kicked alcohol, I kicked cocaine, I kicked those drugs, but pornography was the toughest thing for me to get out of. Good news. Please, this is not bad news. The good news is this. Our name, 
of our Lord is stronger than every trap. And he can rescue from this and you can live free from that trap of pornography. Dr. Victor Klein, I give four stages that he talks about. He knows a lot more about it than I do. And he says there's different stages. The first stage is this addiction by viewing. And they say that from recent studies and research, a lot of studies on this, they know that it stimulates a powerful cocktail of neurotransmitters that floods the brain, provides a high that is similar to that produced by narcotics. Here's a verse, Proverbs 5. Read the whole chapter, maybe at home today, but just a few verses. Solomon writes here, Let your fountain be blessed and enjoy the girl you married when you were young, a loving doe and a graceful deer. Always let her breast satisfy you. Not some picture of some woman on an internet site or some magazine. Always let her breast satisfy you. Always, look at this last part, be intoxicated with her love. Solomon knew that there was an intoxication, a fascination. There's something that happens when a man sees a naked woman. He says, there's only one place that's safe for you to do that, and that's with your wife. It's like a fire. It's good in the fireplace, but if you take it outside the fireplace, it'll destroy the house. There's a place where God loves sex. He created it. It's his idea. He's good with it. It's fantastic, but you take it in the wrong place, it'll destroy you. There's a good movie that, uh, well, before I do that, let me just read to you a bit out of a, there's a book here called Every Man's Battle. I highly recommend it for every man because really every man does battle it. In their book here, they write about, from their research, you find 10% of men say, you know what, I really don't struggle with it. It really doesn't bother me. That's 10%. The other 10% on the other side of the bell curve say, I am deeply addicted to it. And in between, you got 80% of the men that in some form or fashion struggle with it. So they wrote a book, Every Man's Battle. It's a good book for every man to read. There's also one, Every Woman's Battle. But in here, he talks about a test you can take to see whether or not you are addicted. Let me read it out to you, uh, especially for men this morning. Here's a little test you can take. You don't need a pencil. You just need to be honest with yourself. Answer yes or no to the following questions. Number one. Do you lock on when an attractive woman comes near you? You know what we mean by that. Number two, do you masturbate to images of other women? Number three, have you found your wife to be less sexually satisfying? Four, are you holding a grudge against your wife, a grudge that gives you a sense of entitlement? Five, do you seek out sexually arousing articles or photo spreads in newspapers or magazines? Six, do you have a private place or secret compartment that you keep your, hidden from your wife? Seven, do you look forward to going away on a business trip? Do you have behaviors that you can't share with your wife? Do you, have, do you frequent porn-related sites on the Internet? Do you watch R-rated movies, sexy videos, or the streaming VH1 channel for your gratification? If you answered yes to these questions, you're lurking at the door of sexual addiction. They also have a book, Every Young Man's Battle, which deals more for single men. This one uh, focuses more on married men, but there's also one for single men. Now, he says, you're inside the door if you can answer yes to the following questions. Do you watch pay-per-view sexually explicit TV channels at home or on the road? Do you purchase pornography on the internet? Do you rent adult movies? Do you watch nude dancing? Do you call 900 numbers to have phone sex? Do you practice voyeurism? If you said yes, then you're likely addicted. Addicted comes from a Greek word, which means in bondage like a slave. They go on to say, like any addiction, sex addiction is progressive. It's like athlete's foot of the mind, as one person described it. It never goes away. It's always asking to be scratched, promising relief. To scratch, however, is to cause pain and intensify the itch. 
There's a good movie that came out called Fireproof in 2009. Fireproof is about a firefighter, and he is struggling with this addiction. His marriage is breaking down, and he's desperate. His motto at work is leave no man behind, but he's leaving his wife behind. His marriage is disintegrating. And uh, so he, he goes to his dad. He asks his dad for help. His dad's a great Christian man and says, I'm going to give you a challenge. It's called the 40 days called, uh, 40 day called Love Dare, 40 days of purposing every day to do something special for your wife to win her back. He does win her back, but it's a challenging process for him. And in this particular scene, we're going to show you, he's struggling, like many of us have struggled, with do I look at it or don't I look at it? And let's watch his reaction as he's being tempted to look at pornography. Day 23, watch out for parasites. A parasite is anything that latches onto you or your partner and sucks the life out of your marriage. They're usually in the form of addictions like gambling, drugs, or pornography. They promise pleasure, but grow like a disease and consume more and more of your thoughts, time, and money. They steal away your loyalty and heart from those you love. Marriages rarely survive if parasites are present. If you love your wife, you must destroy any addiction that has your heart. If you don't, it will destroy you. Mr. Rudolph? Caleb? You doing okay today? No, not really. 
Irma, I don't want you talking to that guy. He is weird. Takes one to know one. Amen. We'll stop there. Powerful clip of somebody who's breaking free from it. And uh, by the way, that website, it's on the back of your notes there, fireproofmymarriage.com. Lots of other resources there. There's some other websites you can go to to uh, be accountable and to have the resources that you need and have some testimonies also that have broken through this trap. But let's talk, just as we close, how do we get free from the trap that the trapper sets for us? How do we avoid the orange monster? Number one, change direction before it kills you. What is he doing up there in that video? He's changing direction. Remember we, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, hey, if your hand causes you sin, cut it off. This is an application. That, that's what he's doing. He said, man, this thing's causing me to fall. I'm going to get it out of my life. So Jesus said in Luke 13, verse 3, if you don't turn to God and change the way you think and act, then you too will all die. Strong warning. If you don't change direction... Now, what causes us to change direction? What causes us to repent or change direction, the Bible says, is the goodness of God. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. If we feel like, oh, God, I've made a mess of my life. I got sucked into it. Here I am, trapped. You're probably mad at me. You're wrong. God's not mad at you. He understands we're finite. He knows we're human. He knows we're... We have a trapper after us. And he sent Christ to pay the price so we could be free. He said, I have given you authority to tread over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. I will keep you from the snare of the fowler. What causes us to turn to God is his goodness. Secondly, call on the name of the Lord. He will keep his promise. We talked about that. Jude says he's able to keep you from stumbling, keep you out of the trap. And then thirdly, change what you're feeding your mind. If somebody just says, oh, you're struggling with pornography, well, just don't think about it. That will not work. Because you'll try not to think about it, you'll think about it some more, and it will pop up everywhere. It'll pop up in the mall, it'll pop up here, it'll pop up there. You'll just see it. So the, the, what you must do is, instead of focusing on that, we have to focus on something else. Because a thought, that trap, is stronger than we are, but it's not stronger than God's thoughts. It's not stronger than his word. Jesus said, it is written, it is written, and the enemy left. And when we focus on his thoughts, that thought evaporates. Romans 12, 2 of the Message Bible says this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Sometimes people, they don't even think about it. We just, we've, we've been lulled into this. He says, think about it, wake up. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity inside you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, 
then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.